All right. Well, welcome to another Dissecting Popular IT Nerds, where we're allowed to uh, geek out with fellow nerds, and there are no eye scrolls or loss of conscious thought as people's eyes glaze over. Um, today, I'm proud to introduce Felix Dushotsky, who's going to talk to us about a, about digitization, running a successful project, creating a mobile app to solve a business opportunity. Not only will Felix talk to us about all of that, but he's also the winner of the San Diego Tech Exec Award. Why don't you tell us a little about that? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Yeah, a few years ago when I was working for Imprimis RX, uh, I was nominated for uh, the San Diego Tech Exec Award. And uh, there's about 300 candidates. I ended up, you know, being lucky enough to be chosen as a winner for the category of a uh, smaller public company. And they've just based that on, uh, you know, a number of uh, IT operational improvements that we made and just uh, kind of the bulk of, um, you know, work that we were able to accomplish and really raise the company up. Cool. Right on. So um, that's, that's always nice to have that that recognition, especially public recognition. It's usually we're lucky if we get recognition within the company, let alone um, publicly. <laughs> so uh, let's let's talk a little about this application that you developed. Uh, tell me tell me some more about the, the application and um, give us an overview of it. Yeah, so at the time that we developed the mobile e-prescribing app, it was one of several projects we took on to streamline the process for prescribers to be able to send over patient prescriptions. Uh, the company I worked for, like I just mentioned, Imprimis RX was a, a mail-order pharmacy. And so they dealt directly with patients. Uh, they also did manufacturing of the products. And so uh, the objective was just to make it easier for the prescribers and also for the patients uh, to send over the required relevant patient drug details so they can spend more time with the patients, less time on paperwork. So it, it basically offered them an additional channel to send over the data. Uh, you know, we had prescribers across, uh, you know, various sectors, mostly all for ophthalmology, uh, but outside of ophthalmology as well. And so um, we were just looking to make their lives easier. But then for for the company, you know, for our side, it enabled the pharmacy staff to have more comprehensive, more comprehensive and accurate data. So it saved them time as well. Uh, uh, they have an in-house pharmacy management program, and keeping that data as accurate as possible with less time was really critical for the staff. Okay, so now you've you've thrown a lot of different things in there that are like huge pieces. Like, okay, e-prescribing. So it's to, um, you're going to be talking about personally identifiable information. You got HIPAA requirements. You talked about the PMS. Which, oh, wait a minute. I just heard the, what I said, but the uh, for, uh, the patient management systems. Um, and so help me understand a little more about the business problem. What was, you know, I, I started to hear some of the solution, but but how did you guys identify the problem or how was the problem presented to you? So. From, I'd say, day one, starting at that job, we always had uh, a lot of time spent for internal staff uh, making sure the data is accurate. And there were always little projects here and there to help with automation, help save time, and you know, kind of focus more on patient safety, making sure we're doing things properly uh, rather than busy work. So one of the primary drivers was optimization among all the stakeholders. So patients, prescribers, and the pharmacy staff. We're trying to solve that problem, um, kind of 
more holistically than the little patchwork that that existed when I came in. So um, one of the uh, applications we're not going to focus on today, but we also worked on at the same time frame was a, a prescribing web portal. Uh, we ended up hosting that on Salesforce. So whether it's that one or e-prescribing app, uh, you know, projects like this really enabled IT to help the business better with automation in general. Um, really, everyone in the prescribing chain is busy. The prescribers were enabled to send prescriptions in a fraction of the time, uh, whether it's through the mobile app or a different channel. We, in general, were just working to to, to make things more streamlined. Uh, you know, a lot of doctors still uh, use fax order forms. You know, we know that's not really yeah. efficient. The more we can get away from fax and IT, the better. Yeah, for sure. I, I know I hate those machines and, and just trying to deal with the, the phone lines and everything else. It, it's still such a challenge and it should be, shouldn't be. I mean, I, one of the things that I touted about this whole thing was the digitization. So, so you're helping streamline uh, manual processes for the organization and and these people that you were helping with this those were non-it people right they were the regular operations people the order takers the customer service people not only at your organization but at the customers too right and down the line yeah so i'm you know some doctor's offices are are large uh, but many of our customers you know did not have mul multiple branches right they were either a one-man show or a one woman show where they had an assistant and uh, you know, they have to run a business, do paperwork, you know, work with patients. So uh, to remove some of the stress is best. And then on the company side, um, you know, when I started, we had a substantial, um, you know, staff of customer service agents who really worked their butt off, uh, you know, on the phone all the time, talking to patients, uh, prescribers, um, just trying to make sure all the data is accurate. And, the more uh, technology we're able to put in place for them, the more efficient they could do their job and ultimately save, you know, the pharmacist time as well. Wait, so between the doctor's office, the um, the pharmacy, and uh, what was the other third party that was in, involved here? Was it were you guys really kind of the the other third party? But yeah, the information yeah, wasn't the team. same. So you mean you mean my my name and my allergies and my um, uh, potential side effects or reactions to the the allergies to the medicines weren't the same amongst every one of those systems. Well, they have to be, and so you know a lot of manual work went into yeah. verifying that. But I mean, if you imagine the doctor's office has a patient management system, uh, you know, hopefully it's digital, not paper based. And then um, there's our system, the pharmacy management system, and then the, the data flows from one to the other. You know, hundreds of prescriptions a day through a third party middleware. And, you know, of all the different pieces of the software on both ends and the middleware, uh, you know, the, the mapping is far from perfect. And so uh, if we, we could help that without reinventing the wheel. That was one of the goals. Yeah. When when we were talking about this in the, uh, the pre-call, one of the things that you mentioned was that there was a tendency for um, duplicate and triplicate and even more records to be created. Um, and so so this app was going to help identify those or or how did this app help address that issue or was it just helping make sure that one record was consistent throughout and then you guys had to help them identify the other ones to kill yeah so uh you know when the when the prescription comes in there's a number of standard fields and 
a, a number of required fields. So if we receive the patient's first name, last name, and then there's you know the product and the allergies, how do we match the the customer name to the name, you know, and patient ID in our system? Uh, sometimes the pharmacy management system has some tricks, like it could use date of birth. Um, maybe the date of birth isn't correct. We have to correct it later. I mean, typos get made on both ends, right? Uh, and then there's, you know, thousands and hundreds of thousands of patients over, over time. And so you're, you're, you're not going to be able to match it perfectly in, in some, in some instances, right? And, um, if you end up creating new records, like as a default behaviors, like the pharmacy management system would just create a new patient record. It wouldn't necessarily uh, populate the payment history. Right, uh, that we had on the previous record. And so we had to go chase down the payment history. Um, and that's another manual touch. Oh, man. So you started talking about the web portal that you guys were creating. Was the web portal in tandem or was it a predecessor to the mobile app? Was it, did you layer them kind of together? Cause, you know, I know that when my team created a mobile application, we had, we had a web portal that way predicated the mobile app but um one of the things that we tried to do was we tried to make sure that the functionality was the same between the two so that if somebody was more comfortable going to the web portal they had all of the same functionality that somebody who used the web app did and we tried to actually flow things in through the same channels so to speak um can you talk a little about those yeah that, that's a good question so um I, I don't want to say one preceded the other because they, they did essentially serve the same purpose. I mean, some people prefer to use the phone. Some people prefer to use a computer. The first version of the, of the web portal or the web, you know, prescribing app that, that was put out first. Um, and, and then the mobile app took, um, let's say a little less time to get to, a really usable version because we went through a lot more testing with the web portal. And, you know, I, I'd say just from the technical experience, it just took longer to get it right on that Salesforce platform. It's just so customizable. It took longer for the, for the developer to develop something, get released. We test it. We go back. Uh, the mobile app just seemed to be a little, um, a little, a little more, uh, bound to, the restrictions and the flow uh, for some reason. Um, but in terms of the overall, you know, design for the solution, uh, the pharmacy management system was essentially the ERP system for the pharmacy. And it was a central repository for all the, for all the records. It was the system of record, you know, for all patient prescription data. Uh, so with that being the single source of truth, the first thing we end up doing is to build out uh, a secure API solution. For data access, and so that that was really the first thing. And once that was built uh, in-house, it allowed for a number of these integrations to work. And so, so you know, kind of sky was sky was the limit after that. So building out that API solution that's that's one of the challenges that I see happening more and more today. Some some providers are. Um, building and layering in APIs into their applications, but then there's a lot of providers out there or software providers who are not building in that. And it sounds like that's one of the challenges you had. Can you, can you talk a little about, um, the, 
process or the learning process that you guys went through to add APIs onto a, an existing system? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just to go back even further, about <laughs> a year before we kicked off that API and completed it, we were on a completely different pharmacy management software. And that one was really closed off. And the company was on it for a long time. And there was some hesitation of moving on, but it really wasn't scalable. So that was a really tough migration for everyone. Uh, but, you know, fast forward, once we were on the new system, uh, you know, I, th- I think everyone acknowledged that none of these systems are perfect. And this one allowed more uh, customization and usability because the backend was all just basic SQL. It's Microsoft SQL backend. And they and they enabled us to, uh, I mean, the, the vendor worked with us closely to enable us to develop against it. Um, I haven't seen a solution like this out of the box where they provide a good API. They did provide one out of the box, but it wasn't great. And if you think about it, um, the pharmacy management development companies, you know, they have to deal with um, regulatory and uh, compliance in 50 states, plus uh, do all this compliance work to work with um, e-prescribing platforms like SureScripts. So considering you know how expensive software development is they're they're on so many work streams that they can't be pursuing you know the latest and greatest user interfaces and all this so we kind of have to work with what we have and um because it was a really open backend and the, the vendor is very supportive we were able to develop that api yeah that's a that's a great thing because i i know some of the stuff that we were working with the uh, the backend was a black box and half mm-hmm. the time, you know, half the time I was afraid for us to um, do updates to the system because we didn't know what what um, processes got kicked off. And sometimes, you know, you you write to a specific area thinking, okay, this is the full record. And some other field in some other unrelated table, as far as we knew, was getting updated. And it was critical so that you could ultimately like run financials or, you know, aggregate all of the records into the t- correct time period, those kinds of things. So um, at least you guys had migrated to something that was a little more um, modern. Because <laughs> anymore, they was. have to, applications have to be ready for um, interfacing and integration. If an application doesn't integrate, oh my, ugh, black box. Black box head desk. <laughs> um, okay, so so talk about the solution because I we've talked about um, the app, how you created, kind of what it what you knew it was going to do, uh, a couple of some of the spider webs of how you were going to make these things to work, the designing of the solution. Um, did you take that agile? approach of okay here's the next step and we're going to go do this or did you have more of a fleshed out design of we'll start here we'll get to this step we'll do a b c d e f and and you know continue releasing as we hit a b c d e f or tell me a little more about the design of the solution and, and how you got to that point while working on this yeah, so I, I'd say I shared some of the project management role with um, with another leader at the organization. Um, I focused more on the 
uh, integration work and the data requirements. And then he focused a lot on the look and feel of it. Um, and I, I don't know that we, I, I'd say we, if you, if you want to label it, I guess we, we did a combination of agile and waterfall on this one where we try to put out um, a solution that we could hand over to our test group on the, on the first release. And we pretty much got all the look and feel and fonts and colors and graphics um, like 90% of the way there on the first release. And then the, the data requirements, we, we, we got correct after probably the third release. So it took, you know, six or eight weeks on that one. And, and, you know, unlike the API where it was all internal development and we knew the, the system really well, um, we, we ended up having a combination of in-house software development along with a external partner on this one. So it, it was a little the, faster in that regard. The, uh, the other gentleman that you were, um, and the other person, sorry, uh, yeah. that you were working with uh, on this, um, were they in IT and focused on UI, UX, or was this uh, another individual within the organization that was working closer with the um, the teams or the um, the prescribers? Uh, no, this person was not in IT. Um, this person was just on the executive team, and you know he was one of the sponsors of the project. Okay, cool. Well, then that's, you know, that's a key piece actually too, because now it wasn't just a project that was contained solely within IT that in itself can sometimes become a black box. Now you had an executive sponsor working with you, um, involved with the, I'm assuming that involved with your test group or your initial groups of the prescribers, your groups uh, in-house who worked with the data that was coming through. Um, but that that other was he the one that was giving the updates to the rest of the executive team, or were you both giving those updates to the rest of the executive team? Um, it, was, it was mostly him, uh, and then on 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 the final kind of project completion update, yeah, we, we were we were both on it. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, having that business partnership is is pretty critical. I would I would definitely not label this an an IT project because I mean the success and failure depends on if you get the business involved right yeah it's, it's just like that pharmacy management migration a lot of people see it as like software and you're moving data back and forth but i mean if you don't get the pharmacist to buy in that we're switching and leadership to buy in that you know it's gonna be a painful switch but we have to do it it's a business project right not an it project right and this is actually you know it's a business project created by it or or um, built by IT, and this is this is one of those critical things. This is where we turn IT from being a cost center into a value for the company, because we're now we're helping them with an issue that they've had, um, uh, an opportunity, as people love to call them, <laughs> those those business problems, business opportunities, and um, and now you're crafting a solution you've got your executive sponsor um people are how how well were people adopting it how well what you experience with that and and talk a little about that um the user friendliness and functionality sure um but yeah you're absolutely correct i mean uh, it can't just be seen as 
patching servers or creating problems by blocking websites, right? Or fixing the printer. Yeah. I mean, this is a good example of revenue generation. Yeah, so. for sure. This is it's critical, and it's it's also one of the reasons that I was labeling this with that digitization because you you've taken a manual process or a um, auditory process since you had customer service people on the phone um, validating all of this data and trying to make sure it was the same in all of the different systems. Now you've created a process that flows that information through that stays the same, and and it's now become modern and digital so yeah yeah but in terms of user friendliness if you're asking um so we try to model it after kind of more reactive modern looking web applications uh if you were to see one of the old pdf order forms uh i mean it's it kind of looks like a like an intake form at a doctor's office but way more fields you know, going to a doctor's office, you're, you're sitting there for 15 minutes filling out quantity this and this many and this and that. And this is uh, really just, um, you know, you put things in, it remembers your past order for the past patient you swipe, it goes to the next thing. Um, and it does autocorrecting, you know, uh, some kind of logical um, things you can't you can put in a PDF form, but you really shouldn't, or some safety things like you can't be ordering a thousand milligrams of, you know, product, you know, ABCD for this patient. That's the board of pharmacy would never allow this, but you can put on the PDF, but, you know, digitally you can have those controls, right? Um, or like a good modern example, if you go to most forms now on the, on the web, put in your address, they, they just do a, a lookup on some API, like ShipStation, and it, it just starts autofilling your address. So, it, it aligns perfectly when they go to ship and USPS and the shipping department. And that wasn't super common uh, even five years ago, but now it's everywhere, but that was in the app. So just like little things like that. Um, to, yeah. to make I, I can't tell you how easier. frustrated I get when I'm filling in my address and, and I put in like the zip code and I jump on and then it's coming back and saying, okay, what city are you in? I'm like, I gave you the zip code. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. on. <laughs> yeah. No, or, or a lack of insight, a lack of of thought, forethought, and user friendliness. Because put in the zip code, you, I, you, I've got the city, I've got the state, I've got the country. Because <laughs> Canada's zip codes are definitely a lot different than the U.S. as are yeah. Mexico's. So, and, and I haven't had to deal with too much international myself, but I'm sure that the zip codes are a little bit different over in Europe too. So, yep, um, yep. Uh, so. Talk to me. I, I mentioned it uh, earlier on. Um, what about the compliance? You mentioned something about the compliance about having the uh, the um, prescription man or no the patient management system having to be very aware of um, compliance per state. And um, we both know HIPAA is going to be involved, whatever state it is. You've got PII, personal identifiable information. Um, what kind of concerns did you run into? What, how did you do research on that to make sure that you weren't putting yourself or or potentially causing the organization pains tomorrow? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, you know, without getting into a lot of the nitty gritty details, you know, I'd say security around PII data and HIPAA compliance is just a constant theme when working in this space. I mean, outside of the project, just 
many day-to-day tasks or bringing in a new piece of software uh, or the way you run backups. I mean, ensuring privacy is just top of mind. So just by design of the working in this area, it's, you know, we we have a top of mind. And so we engineered the solution to make sure that we didn't have data at rest and residual locations. We made sure to implement various security controls on both the front and back end. Uh, like MFA was um, in the app right from the beginning. You know, a doctor's logging in is personal cell phone, right? And it's his personal phone number, but, um, you know, it sends an MFA text and there's an onboarding process for that. The API had you know, like a validated firewall security policy to make sure only certain sources are allowed. I mean, even basically things like that um, were put in right at the beginning. Uh, we had, um, you know, vul- vul- vulnerability scans um, contracted for all that for all the endpoints, and uh, you know, part of protecting the company besides you know these kind of standard security things that IT does, uh, just having you know good business partnership and buy-in from the leaders. Made sure to consult uh, with our in-house pharmacists, uh, consulted with legal. Um, you know, the pharmacists in particular, they're ultimately responsible for dispensing the products to the patients. And, you know, even though everyone um, has patient safety top of mind, uh, we wanted to make sure they were included in the decision-making process. Okay. Um, what are the other things that, that we run into is the chance that um, if I'm filling out a form on my on my cell phone, I've got lots of other applications on there. It's not, I mean, it, there's as much computing power on my cell phone as there are on, or there is in many laptops nowadays. But but my ability to access that data, um, or that data gets captured and stored on the local device, and typically other apps have access to any of the data that's recorded. But you you mentioned something about um, trying to protect that. What'd you guys do about that? And, and it seemed like it was more than just on the device. Yeah, I guess at a high level, um, the the web portal and the well, I guess we, we just focus on the mobile app. So uh, when, when you were to log into the mobile app, it would download certain basic information, like your information that um, was on the administrative side. But it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't store the patient information. It would do live lookups every time. And then when you log out, I mean, it would time out. If you didn't log out yourself. Um, the, the information would be purged. So it, it, it didn't retain it in the phone's memory. And then, um, I believe you'd mentioned somewhere that you guys made sure that the, uh, whenever the data was at rest or in flight, you guys were, um, encrypting it to make sure that it was secured that way too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everything is encrypted right, right from the beginning. Uh, so, you know, all SSL communication, uh, the API only allowed SSL communication. Good. Yeah. Okay. Cause that's so needed with today. I, I mean, there's so many different places that people can, unfortunately, can listen in or see that data. And that's kind of where I was trying to lead with that was that aspect of it. Um, talk to me about the adoption. How did you guys, um, what did you do about the adop- adoption and how did you find out how, whether this was successful or not? Because to me, I would assume adoption is the primary uh, measure of success, or did you guys have a, a different measure of success? So 
adoption and measure of success. Go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, so in terms of adoption, when we were discussing doing the web portal, uh, basically, you know, a doctor could go in to the website, log in, see their order history, see their patient details, make corrections if they want to place a prescription order. Um, there was a lot of outreach prior and some really expressed interest in having that versus like you mentioned, like a, like a black box analogy. They send us stuff. They trust it's all working, but to have a history of it. That's that's kind of nice for some for some individuals, and so because we already knew some people wanted that, uh, it made sense that we would have a, an adoption base for it. And so, uh, rather than doing a you know equal outreach for the mobile app, we went ahead and uh, started working on it, and we knew that the original group of people might also be interested in it. So, um, and, and it and it turned out that some were, and then some smaller offices were especially interested in it because um, the amount of time it took them to complete the same task was just so much faster. But you know, like like, like anything new, um, some people jump on board right right away. Others are hesitant. Some people don't prefer to use a phone. But um, one thing that got people onboarded was you just ask them to try it, and they realized how smooth it was. And, and some and some really used it religiously. Um, but in terms of, a, you know, adoption success, um, like I mentioned, I'm no longer with the company, but at the time I left my role, I mean, they were continuing to onboard, you know, between 10 and 20 new customers a week, let's say, um, you know, hopefully that increased, um, you know, so I can't really comment on whether, whether they got to a logical point and they said, uh, you know, we're done, this is the max, but, you know, I know the company goes through ebbs and flows with different products, different specialties, new technology that they're developing with their products. And so um, which ones would be a better fit for new prescribers that they bring on? I'm not really sure if there's a certain percentage that they want using this versus the web portal. I guess it's more about optionality and, um, you know, more about the journey and, and and how they can bring more people on. But but certainly it was, it, it, was, it was like a chunk when I, you know, when I left. Did they have any kind of a, a measures or KPIs on the reduction of people having to make those phone calls or all of that kind of work? Did they had they created any any KPIs around um, the success of this while you were there while you were still working with it? Somewhat, yeah, and and I can't tell you, you know, that the answer is seven yeah. or something, you know, but right. no. it, it, in, internally, um, you know, we can only measure kind of internal costs. Uh, they significantly increased their number of orders and revenue um, every, every quarter for the, you know, multiple, multiple years now without necessarily increasing pharmacy staff. Um, and it's through some of these, automation projects that they were able to just push through a significantly higher number of orders without increasing the number of pharmacists or pharmacy techs uh in, in in proportion and then on the other on the other team the customer service team um you know ensuring good you know customer experience uh their their number i mean as people left the company they didn't necessarily replace them one to one but same same growth fewer people right on that's always a good thing. More with less. That's you know, how long yeah. have we been? How long has that been the uh, the mantra for IT? You know, you guys got to do more with less, um, or we're just trying to help make sure that more gets done. And 
And it's exactly that way of measuring it. We help IT helps facilitate growth of the business without growth of the back office or a corresponding one-to-one growth ratio. Um, What other lessons did you learn? What other, so, you know, if you were to, or as you've been given new projects and new opportunities, what things did this successful project and that implementation teach you and um, what things are did you grab from that that you apply to today's projects and that you know that you're going to layer into to tomorrow's projects? What are you what are you carrying forth from this? So, um, if it wasn't clear, you know, just clarify it now. You know, this project and some of the ones around it, uh, whether it's a web portal or uh, texting integration into our pharmacy management system. They're all extremely custom. So there's a lot of custom coding. I mean, everything from like the graphics fonts, application flow, database integrations, API security. Uh, the, the e-prescribing app in particular, I, I think we were very successful in keeping the scope tight, you know, from completion to end, but it, it is a lot of work. And so. Moving forward, I think with larger custom application proposals, key takeaways to is to tighten down the development, make it low code or no code. And I think there's a lot more technology available now, kind of off the shelf, to make that make that possible. Um, but you know, if you're always doing custom code, you're always at higher risk for yeah, that's you know, for scope creep, right? For scope creep, for um, tribal knowledge that you have to maintain. Um, that you can't easily rebuild or or it takes time to bring a skilled person in and get them caught up on all of that custom information or the tribal knowledge again to be able to um, take over for somebody or or to allow for growth of somebody and so that you can move somebody to a new role or or change things out that way. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the average is something like, 80% of the time you spend on this project is after it's completed, if it's if it's all custom. And so having a good partner is great, but um, you know, you're not gonna align all these things every time. Okay. So and I don't know about you, but to me, this sounds like a painful lesson. This is this is one of those things that, okay, now that you've done this project, you've learned that, you've created all that custom. So tomorrow's project you're working on um using the, the low code or the no code to be able to create the solution um, so that there's a lot less of that customization in it so that like it's easier for, to maintain and grow? Yeah. like I mean, the, for example, we we slowly built up the, lo- the different components and it kind of made sense to to add, you know, this custom add-on or this custom application. But if, if you're starting at a different point where maybe all of your data is in a SQL database in Azure. It, it might make a lot more sense to to leverage the Office 365 and Teams capabilities to develop something that isn't all custom. It's just a kind of a low code solution. I think the capabilities are there now. Yeah, yeah, for sure on something like that versus um, a fully custom built application that accesses that. Then now you use the uh, uh, what do they call it? The the automation tools or the workflow automation, um, all of those tools that Microsoft has been producing, 
um, to help make this much faster too. You know, oh, yeah. you don't have yeah, to write all of the interfaces. All you got to do is start setting up the configuration and get the connections right. Yeah, absolutely. And then I, you know, I'd say the other, uh, you know, thing to, to, you know, the, the other takeaway for next time is um, just make sure you have a really good racy chart of the project work and ongoing maintenance, right? Because we, we discussed having good business partnerships. Uh, well, if, if it's not 100% clear who's doing what before and after, um, you know, you're not going to be successful. And, you know, that's another takeaway here. Just make that, yeah, you made that me clear in the beginning. Um, remember something that we always kind of talked about internally ourselves was that, you know, like the, that development team. Those are those more expensive resources, and and if you can take that development team and and complete a project, and then they can take and disengage one hundred percent and go over onto a new project, and now that the completed project gets handed off to the support group, and they understand and know enough about that project or that product that they can maintain it, then they continue to assume ownership of these projects that have been or these creations and that development team continues to add more value by doing the next thing and the next thing and the next thing versus getting stuck on this one and having to put 80 percent of the time after the fact it 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 is nice if if you have the opportunity to bring on like a devops person or a business analyst to help with some of the lighter loads yeah well and, and you almost at least one of the things that we found was you you really kind of want that business analyst person up on the front end of this thing, helping validate the business issues, find out some of the uh, the costs, the values, the uh, potential wins that you're going to get out of it, and then aiming towards those as you're building it and, and having that constant feedback from the business side. But the, one of the other things that we talked about is so critical business involvement, business support, business, or um, the executive sponsorship, all of those. Because then it's a business project. It's not an IT project. And if the business creates it, owns it, and or if the business designs it and owns it and you create it, now the value of IT just grows so much more. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point you made. It's almost like a positive feedback loop, right? if you collaborate yeah. properly and it's successful, it just kind of leads to bigger things. Yeah, for sure. Well, it sounds like a, a fun project to have done. Sounds like a, a quite a few lessons learned along the way. Um, anything else you want to bring up? Anything else you want to talk about on it? Um, as we uh, come kind of to a natural conclusion on this? Uh, no, uh, nothing in detail, but, you know, I just to wrap it up, I mean, the company leadership was pleased by the look and feel and, you know, um, the larger team, uh, you know, sp- spoke very, uh, you know, very gladly that, you know, we, we worked with them. And when they presented it to customers, um, it's nice to have that, uh, you know, that confidence that it's working and that it looks good. So, you know, it, it made everyone on the IT side, you know, very, very happy. The business is happy. Cool. Did they, did they give you any kind of a celebration? Did you guys get any kind of a win? You at least get a pizza party out of it? <laughs> uh no, no, except for just respect, yeah. right? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, and that's that's one of the things that um, it's on us to make sure that we help the team celebrate the wins. So um, it's definitely one of the things that that 
being somewhat of an introvert um i or at least i call myself one and i know i'm not um the uh it's on us or it was on me to make sure that i celebrated with my team to help them feel good about their accomplishments um beyond just seeing somebody use what they did um we need to acknowledge those wins so that our team feels proud about the work that they've done. I need to, let me put it that way. Yeah, I totally agree. That's, you know, just part of, uh, just part of being a good leader, you know, for the team, acknowledging the wins and, you know, and your appreciation. Right on. Well, thank you very much today for the, uh, the interview and, um, and the time to tell us about this successful project. And, and I just, it's, uh, awesome to talk to somebody about something that we've done in it besides helping that uh helping that user bold something in excel yeah thanks mike i appreciate it yeah thank you so uh as we come to a wrap i just want to remind all of our listeners to uh go find us and and um if you enjoyed the show today make sure to give us a like or or put a comment on the uh wherever you're downloading the podcast from We definitely need that feedback and and appreciate y'all. Thank you for uh, uh, listening to another Dissecting Popular IT Nerds.